0: Hey, boss heroes, good news! You can now sign up for my Boss Better email newsletter with a single text. Twice a month, I'll send advice, resources, and words of encouragement straight to your inbox. This is the only way to make sure you get everything we share and never miss a thing. Just text the word Boss Hero to 66866 to get signed up. That's Boss Hero, all one word, to 66866. Or you can visit BossBetternow.com to subscribe. And now on with the show. The age of hiring is over. If you're still trying to find the best person for the job, you're using an outdated, broken strategy for filling roles in your organization. I'll tell you what you should be doing instead, plus the five beliefs of better bosses. We have an exciting opportunity for you now on Boss Better Now.
1: You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and planner collector, Joe Mall.
0: Well, welcome back, boss heroes, to your show. The show that answers your questions, supports you on your journey to lead better, and strives to restore your boss soul. We also like to make you smile and laugh along the way. To help me do that, as always, my fantastic co-host, Alyssa Mullet. Hello, my friend.
1: Hello. So like planners as in like, because I consider myself a journal junkie. Yes, yes. So So like must plan all of the things nicely color coded, perhaps. Do you have a specific niche that is like, this is the planners?
0: I have like planner ADD. OK, I will get a planner. I'll be like, this is great. And I'll use it for a little while and be like, eh, it's not it's not good. It doesn't it doesn't meet my needs completely. And I'll look around for something different. And then I got proactive this year when we were getting to the first of the year. And the the book I was using was about done. I thought, OK, I'm going to look around. I'm going to find the right one. And I ended up I'm, I'm really embarrassed to admit this. I ordered four. I ordered four <laughs> different planners and I didn't like any of them. And oh, no. so my, my whole thing is, so I like the bullet journal model. And so for years yeah, I would yeah. use a, a dot grid, blank numbered notebook. And I still actually prefer that. Um, but I use my bullet journal for a lot of weekly task planning and tracking. And I also use it for a lot of note taking. And so I was trying to find one that had... Um, more kind of weekly calendars, but not ones that took up the whole double spread, had had room to make task lists and notes. And I don't like insert planners, like where you buy the subsets and you put them in. I don't like that. I like a hard bound yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I just feel like I've turned into a total snob about some of these.
1: it's like, just
0: just get some paper and a pen, bro. Like, it's not that complicated. I I don't normally call myself bro. Um, (laughs) But the the result is, as I was prepping the podcast episode, I looked over and I have these four planners sitting on my desk, one of which I've begrudgingly chosen to use. Like, I'm like, oh, this one's going to have to be good (laughs) enough. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm a planner collector now. So that's why that's
1: I, I'm reaching here. I, I'm listeners. You can, you can at Joe with your favorite recommendations for him. <laughs> now, this one is the one that I have chosen and I love it. Well, anything by Sarah Steckler is balls, but this is called the daily productivity and brain dump book. Hmm. And I love it for exactly what you're talking about, Joe. Like I, she has it where you can do it daily. I do it for weekly and yes. then like I spread it out, and then the task list, and then all of the things.
0: And you're a journal things. collector, you said.
1: I'm a journal junkie.
0: Okay. Well, t- <laughs> So how, do, how does that work? Do you just collect them because you like them, or you're writing in them every day? You've talked about your writing habit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am writing in them not every day. I have different ones that I pick up at different times. Um, so simultaneously to the planner that I have there, the daily planner, um, Brain dump. I'm also using the Outlaw Journal. That's for entrepreneurs. I love that one. By Outlaw Journal.
0: I thought it was for the boys. Outlaw
1: Journal. It's amazing. <laughs> Great stuff. Cool. Um, And then I just love really beautiful, um, like. Beautiful imagery and paper journals, Mm -hmm. just blank, right? Um, Anything to, like, spur any kind of artistic, creative juice um, for just writing, you know, blanket writing. Um, But then I also just love, you know, prompt journals. And I have all the ones that, like, uh, say, like, you know give it the F up, you know, like what go <laughs> yeah, of, you yeah. know, with all of the little uh, other prompts that
0: <laughs> yes. are
1: supposed to be meaningful and all of the rest of the thing. So I like it all. I love it all.
0: Well, I can't pass up this opportunity and, and you didn't ask me to do this and I wasn't planning to do this, but I cannot pass up the opportunity to also mention that you've created two journals uh, and that people can get those journals. So I'm going to invite you to take 30 seconds and tell us about these oh, two great journals she's that
1: you so created. so sweet. Thank you so much. So I have the I am learning pocket journal. Um, both of these are available on Amazon. Um, the pocket journal is a um, a tiny little four by six, just mm-hmm. fits perfectly in your briefcase or what have you, and you can take down your podcast notes from mm-hmm. your listening. You can take down therapy notes, and doesn't mean you have to be in therapy. It means however you receive therapy outside, it can be meditation, whatever it
0: could be, reflection, it can just be ideas exactly.
1: Yep. And then also, I have some templated places, templated pages in there for you to write down key learnings that from your readings, from articles, Mm -hmm. or from books you're having uh, in your. stack as well. And then my latest journal is actually called Capturing Parenthood Memories Journal. Mm -hmm. And this one is for those of us that are parents. Um, I'm calling it the anti-baby book um, because (laughs) this is not one you whip out and you show everybody. This is one to record what you experience as a parent. Um, So I have some... um, pages in there that are prompted that yeah. say, you know, like I giggled when, or, yeah. you know, the time parenting nearly killed me. <laughs> and yeah. then you, you know, you give that uh, information and you can record your kids' names and, you know, their ages and all of that kind of fun stuff. So that you know, what you, what you experienced mm-hmm. and when, and then there's plenty of blank pages in there for you to, to make your own documentation. And it's a really nice book. Well, Jess and
0: I have one, it's a hard cover. It's a really nice book. So if you want to find that, I think you could just uh, go to Amazon and type in your name, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep. And both of those will come up under my um, authorship. Yep.
0: Well, maybe I'll get a couple more of those and add them to my planner collection and decide if I can <laughs> use them to keep myself organized. You got to come out. There you go. you, know, you got to come out with one that does exactly what I wanted to do, Alyssa. With okay. The, and we'll, we'll we'll get into the details. For you, Jeff. For you. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Well, folks, I want to talk today about something you heard me say really at the top of the podcast. I'm in the throes right now of writing my third book, and... Um Full disclosure, it's really hard um, to to figure out how you say what you want to say. And um, the book's probably going to come in somewhere between 40,000 and 60,000 words, which means I will need to write about 100,000 words um, as far as the editing process and the organization process. And so this is a, a long, arduous journey. But one of the ideas that I keep coming back to, uh, in in the the basis for the book, uh, is that the age of hiring is over, and that we now live in a place where. Um, we cannot focus on trying to find the best person for the job. We actually need to create the best job for the person. And so I, as I was doing some writing for the book, I ended up writing a little summary of an idea that I shared on my LinkedIn page and shared with our, our Boss Better email subscribers that got some reaction. And so I'm going to share it with you. Um, the premise was this, that if you are struggling to find and keep devoted employees, maybe it's time to start operating like a college football recruiter. So when student athletes are weighing where to enroll, they will choose the program that they think is most likely to help them realize their personal and professional dreams. Uh, And if you are a college football coach, you're also a recruiter. And so you have to go into kids' homes with their families uh, and make a case for why your school is the best school for them. And so college football recruiters know this. They know that the kid is going to choose the program that is most likely to help them realize their personal and professional dreams. And so they build their entire pitch around why their program is the best way for the recruit to get where they want to go. They sit with that person and they say, hey, do you dream of playing in the NFL? You know, we sent 24 players there in the last six years, so we know how to get you there. Oh, wait, you want to start right away and get a lot of playing time? Well, here's where you'll be on our depth chart. Or you want to be great at your position? Well, let me introduce you to your position coach who is one of the best in the country. And as recruiters pitch this, it's all about tailoring their program to fit what that person wants most out of that opportunity. And once the recruit decides that a program is right for them, they commit. They literally commit. They sign a letter of commitment. They say, this is where I'm going. They choose the program that they believe will ultimately help them live the life that they want to live. And I would argue that this is where we are at right now when it comes to finding and keeping employees. This is the world we are operating in right now when it comes to staffing. If you want to attract and keep the best people, They need to believe that yours is the job that best meets all their wants and needs. And so we should be doing the same thing that college recruiters are doing, college football recruiters doing. We should be saying to candidates, oh, hey, you're a single parent with young kids at home? Well, we offer flexible schedules and remote work and a bank of PTO you can draw from on day one. Oh, wait, Mm -hmm. you want to gain experience in this particular field and enhance your skills in this particular area? Well, we have a thriving mentorship program, and you're going to spend at least five hours a month working with your mentor. Oh, what's that? You need to do this work at a higher pay rate? You need to earn more? Well, our pay scales are in the fifth percentile of the market, and we pride ourselves on paying at the top percentage of industry scales. So we have to be going out into the world and attracting people in this way. But then here's the second part of this, Alyssa, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to respond to everything that I am throwing out there. Mm-hmm. You can't just recruit. The pitch can't just be words. Right, you actually have to deliver on your promises. So in college football, if a player starts to believe that the program is no longer a good fit, their commitment wavers. They actually, they literally can decommit. In college football, you can decide this program isn't a fit for me anymore, and you can enter the transfer portal, and you can look for a new program that gives them what they want. They call it decommitting. <laughs> And so the same thing happens with our employees, right? If we don't deliver on our promises, we lose commitment quickly. But if we do deliver on our promise, if our employee experience helps people live the life they want to live, you not only supercharge commitment, but you create this kind of recruitment loop. Because when college football players turn into successful alumni, they become lifelong ambassadors and recruiters for that organization, and they encourage other talented people to join it. So this is my argument, that the age of hiring is over. We now live in, age, in an age of recruiting, and that instead of trying to find the best person for the job, we actually have to create the best job for the person. You know, there's an argument that it's really hard to find and keep devoted employees, and you know, maybe it's not. Maybe it's easy. if you, If you create a place that checks all the boxes for somebody in terms of what they earn and how they work and what they do, And how their boss treats them and how that job fits into their life, it's not that hard. You're actually going to have a fair amount of people who flock to your organization. All right, I'll hang up and listen to the rest of the show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, wow. First of all, I can't wait for the book. I know I'm sure it's treacherous getting there, but we'll all be waiting for it. (laughs) Um, This whole analogy, I, I've learned again, I learned so much on the podcast. Every single episode, I learned something new. I had no idea about this sports thing uh, at all, committing and decommitting. I had no understanding of all of that. But I freaking love this analogy um, because it like blows my mind thinking about what it actually would do mm-hmm. in a workplace what I think we can all agree would be so meaningful if, if uh, organizations commit to that kind of strategy, right? But I think that it also requires then for organizations to understand and release or decommit to trying to be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's not this... You know, we have it all. Because like you said, okay, we have this mentorship program. Okay, we have this. Mm -hmm. If you promise all of that and then like 5% of that actually is occurring, right, that's not the program. Mm -hmm. And you will continue to experience the hiring cycles And the terminating cycles. And this is the process we will continue to go through. But rather, if you can align those programs with the organization's core values, with the mission, all of those things, and truly commit, these are the things we're going to focus on. And, yeah, these other things are nice and good, but that's not where our expertise lies or that's not the kind of benefits or programs that we think – And that we have shown benefit the kinds of folks that we want to attract here that are going to be the best fit and have the best experience in our workplace.
0: And believe it or not, that's actually uh, supported by the college football recruiting model because not every school can be the University of Alabama, which has been the most dominant college football program in the country for the last 15 years. Um, there are there are people that Alabama ignores. They don't recruit them because they don't see mm-hmm. them as being good enough. And so other schools go for those kids, right? So those schools sit, sit across from a kid and their family and they say, We are not the right fit for kids who get recruited by Alabama, for five-star recruits. We're the right fit for three-star recruits who have flashed the potential of five-star recruits but have been ignored by bigger schools. And so we're the right fit for a, a talented kid who is looking for an opportunity to prove himself. We're the right fit for someone who wants to be a part of something new and that's growing, right? Like if you're program has won 10 championships that's what you sell join our program and you'll become a national champion but if you haven't won a single championship you can't sell that but what you can sell is um the hope of and the opportunity to be a part of something special that's coming mm-hmm. down the pipe like come join our program we're a program on the rise you know this is a chance to to prove yourself you sell it differently it's just like when, as part of the recruitment process to attract talent for an organization, you say to a candidate, yeah, you're right, you, you can get, a, you could probably get a higher pay elsewhere. If you go work for this big XYZ company, you might be able to get higher pay there. But with us, you're going to get this pay, but you're going to get these three or four other things that typically don't happen in those other programs. And so we're right for people who are looking for that.
1: Yes. Like it can't be this like sales of all of the things. Right. Yes. And then a bait and switch. Right. Because I, I think a lot of us have experienced that in the workplace mm-hmm. where we're like, oh, the, the you know. Oh, the culture of the panel—the the panel that I interviewed with five bajillion times—told yeah. me, "Oh, that this was the culture of the workplace, and this is what was you know important for them." And then you get in there and you find out that in reality, that's like number five. Yes, uh, and, and, you know, on the list of twenty.
0: And and here's the thing that shifted. So. Some recruiters and headhunters have been operating this way for years for positions where there is a shortage of talent and the roles are hard to fill, right? Really competitive jobs um, where you're throwing signing bonuses and lots of different competitive offers where you have to pay at the top of the market for someone to even look at you. We've seen some of this in like software engineers and and certain roles in healthcare. And um, so these corporate recruiters, they they have had to operate this way for some time mm-hmm. where they go into a, a candidate uh, opportunity and they paint a picture of what life is going to be like for that person here and why they should join. And as soon as it becomes clear that that organization isn't matching what that recruiter sold to them – they're going to lose that talent. And so it's those recruiters, those headhunters, those folks who are really working to fill those hard-to-fill roles who are coming back to the organization and saying, we have a culture problem because you say you're one thing, but people experience something else. And so there's a disconnect and you're making it even harder to fill these positions because we're not able to create the kind of opportunity and the culture and the experience that keeps people here. And it has to get fixed or I'm not going to be able to get you the talent that you need to compete. So what has shifted is that right now we're in a moment where it's that way for nearly everybody. It's not just those hard to fill roles anymore. I mean, if you run a restaurant and you need servers and wait staff and cooks, you gotta be asking yourself, what would make this restaurant the very best place in the region to be a cook? Or the very best place in the region to be on the wait staff? What would I need to provide to make my company, my experience for that position look and sound like that to someone? Uh, and if i'm not doing that then know that i'm going to have a harder time attracting talent or that somebody else may poach my team members when they create it and i don't
1: isn't that the the thought pattern that you you know lose this talent right and not only did you um put all the time you know the all of that roi into you know, training, whatever it might yes. be, but then you additionally rupture, dismantle, completely implode your reputation mm-hmm. tenfold over because like what's that role? like you know, even at a restaurant, if you go there and you experience like you know something bad, you tell eleven hundred yeah, people, right? right? <laughs> um
0: was that eleven <laughs> hundred?
1: It I'm was 1100. That, a, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So again, if you're asking yourself, okay, what is truly going to bring me and keep mm-hmm. me in the in line with what I need to do what the focus of our mm-hmm. business is, the structure, the, what the services that we offer. You start asking your current employees as well. What would make you want your best friend to work here? With, mm. how, what would make you suggest your to, you know someone that you respect to come and work here? Mm-hmm. What would we have to do differently or what could, what approach do we need to take in order to make sure that we keep you?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think there were probably a lot of leaders listening to this who do hiring, who find that their hands are tied by the larger organization's policies or approach or pay structures. And so if that's you boss heroes, if you're listening and you're going out into the world and you're trying to hire and you think, yeah, Joe and Lisa, that sounds great. And I can try to sell many of the good things that would appeal to people in in terms of what they're looking for now in a job. But I'm also really held back by some things that are out of my control. What's really Mm -hmm. important is that you are speaking up to the powers that be in your organization to say, Listen, I consistently go out and try to hire, but what we are offering is out of touch with reality at the moment, and so we cannot compete. We 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 are offering ten dollars when everybody else is offering twelve, or we're offering twenty dollars and everybody else is offering twenty-five. Uh, we're offering this kind of benefits package. We're we're paying for twenty percent of people's health care, and everybody else is paying for forty percent. You know, it, depending on the position and depending on the role. You have to speak up and ask, how do we make sure that that message gets heard loud and clear? Because oftentimes the people who are making those decisions about what they want to pay are doing them through the lens of expenses. They're doing them through the lens of profit. Um And you may have to speak up and say, no, 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 Like, we're losing money every day because we can't fully staff. You're concerned about what this person's going to cost you. And I'm trying to tell you, look at what it's costing us to not have these five persons. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a different metric that needs to be used here. We can't compete until something changes. So, you know, if you're listening to this, that might be the only tactical takeaway for you is is speaking up and helping – Expand the understanding that people in your organization above you have between what their expectations are for hiring and the reality of what you can and can't do.
1: the The other thing that I would offer to those individuals who are truly, you know, handcuffed um, by those kinds of circumstances is do yourself a favor, come up with some language, make it authentic to you, in which. You are offering candidates a realistic job preview. Mm-hmm. There are some people that are still going to choose to come work for you That's in that right. organization, right? But the more realistic and honest that you can be and to say, okay, you know, I know you've said that, that, you know, X, Y, and Z is really important to you and moving up in promotions is like, you know, your number one reason that you you want to come work for our organization and what i want to tell you is that you know i as a leader recognize talent and that gets rewarded in terms of do to do to do to do Mm -hmm. but as an organization right now i will be honest in relaying that upward motion and promotions to this level of management are not something that we are able to move swiftly on right now. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be realistic with you Mm -hmm. and manage those expectations upfront so Mm -hmm. that I'm not promising you something that is not going to be
0: the reality. Because, and I'm going to continue that conversation with the candidate, because one of our core values here is transparency. And so I know Mm. that you're probably talking to a lot of other organizations right now um, who are promising you the moon. And um, they're not going to be able to deliver on that. I mean, maybe some can. I don't know. Um, But I want you to come in through the door with your eyes, eyes wide open. I would much rather you have an authentic experience to what we talked about, then come in, do the work and be disappointed. And because one of our core values is transparency, we're always gonna prioritize being honest with you. And so, yeah, the kind of upward mobility that you're looking for isn't necessarily a possibility right out of the gate. Could that change? Maybe, but here are the other things that you'll experience. Yes, yeah. All right, folks, well, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you have additional thoughts? We would love to hear from you. You can always send your comments, reactions, feedback, and of course, your questions. We especially love getting your questions. You can send those to us via email at bossbetternow at gmail.com. As I said at the top of the program, our show is built on your questions, so don't be shy. Email us at bossbetternow at (laughs) gmail.com. We are now at the camaraderie question of the week. My friend, as you know, because I say it every single episode, bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. And so every week we give you a question you can use to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. Our question this week, Alyssa, is this. If you could remove an entire month from the year, which month would you choose and
1: why? I love this question because it's, like, fun, at least. Um, You know, something lighthearted, hopefully. I mean, maybe you could get some tragic stuff from here, but hopefully it's not that for everyone. Um, For me, I'm going to go with, like, either February or March. It's really a a toss-up because... In our neck of the woods here in PA, like, February's generally going to be frigid and gross. Mm-hmm. I see ne- weather poop, okay? Uh, <laughs> March, you have more of the same, but there's hints of that thing that they call the sun in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes here every once in a while during that month. And so I I, I like it a little bit more, but it's longer, So I I was trying to, like, really figure out, do I just want to go away with the whole February thing or take the longer, possibly maybe that sun thing, month of March? I'm not quite sure. One of those two.
0: Yeah. Um, I am with you. My answer is very similar. Um, I disagree about February, though. My answer was March. Okay. so Okay. Um I would not cut out February because what well, my birthday is in February so my birthday was last week it was February 25th uh, I got to have my birthday and uh, plus you get Valentine's okay. Day so I'm keeping February but March is a slog March is a bit of a dumpster <laughs> fire in western Pennsylvania because it's a black and white movie it's gray everything is gray it's like if depression had its own month March Yay. March is sadness (laughs) because let's think about it. You come out of the new year. You come out of the holidays, right? There's a little kind of seasonal dip. But January is kind of like reinvention. It's a new year. There's a little bit of energy around that. And then you get into February, and you're like, oh, man, it's winter. By the way, for those of you listening to this in, like, San Diego, you've got no idea what I'm talking about because it's, like, 80 and sunny there every day. But for those of us in the mid-Atlantic or in like, – like, if you live in Wisconsin or Seattle right now, you are feeling me on this um, – <laughs> you get into February and you're like, oh man, there's a lot of winter left, but then you get Valentine's day and there's some love. And like, for me personally, I get my birthday, March 1st, you land on March 1st and you've been like, oh, it's been cold for four months. When's the sun coming? Oh wait, what's that? It's still more than two months away. Ugh. <laughs> right? Cause we lie to ourselves every year. We lie to ourselves in Western Pennsylvania. We get to April first, and we're like, "Spring is here." No, it's not. April sucks too. Like, yeah. yes, <laughs> pay it attention. Does. They say April comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. No, April comes in like a lion and goes out like a lion. April stinks. You get to May first, and you're like, "Isn't it supposed to be warm yet?" Why is it still 40? <laughs> forty? Forty? So, Ooh, it's it's a heat wave. It's a heat wave. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but imagine if you could chop out March and jump from like February 28th to April 1st. Oh, then there's hope. Then you're like, Oh, it's only a couple more weeks. And you know, Oh, that'd be All great, right, You've convinced it? me. You've
1: sold this me. March. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've thought yeah. way too much about this. I was thinking about this yesterday. <laughs> Cause I knew we were going to answer this question. Like what would I choose? Oh, March is awful. We got to get rid of March.
1: <laughs> All right. We agree on this. I am sold.
0: Uh, and folks, you got to like, you can at us, you can tweet. I'm at Joe mall 77 on Instagram. And, on Twitter, like, would would you pick a different March or excuse me, a different month? Or do you have love for March? Are you going to come back and be like, you can't delete March and here's why, because it's like St. Patrick's Day, because that's your thing. Okay, cool. You know, let us know. We would love to hear from you. And that is the camaraderie question of the week. All right, boss heroes, I don't have to tell you that when it comes to teaching leaders how to be better bosses, one and done training doesn't work and the only way that managers at any level learn to succeed at being a boss is through ongoing training and support that's why last year we launched something really new and different it's a subscription program for companies called the boss better leadership academy every month your managers get a bite-sized virtual program from me and they are seriously bite-sized most are between like 15 and 25 minutes long and they come with a discussion guide for every program and we do monthly office hours with me to ask questions And then everything gets stored in a a digital vault that you can access 24-7. And so this program, since we launched it, has gotten just glowing feedback from our subscribers. They love that their busy leaders only have to find a few minutes each month to get better. They love the guidance and the scripts we teach for better employee conversations. Uh, And they love that their leaders are working with me a little bit every month for less than it costs to bring me on site for just a one-hour program. So if you have been looking for an affordable way to help ensure your leaders continue showing up as better bosses, then let's talk. If you want all the managers in your organization to learn from me all year long, this program might be perfect. You can email us at hello at mull.com and ask for more information about the Boss Better Leadership Academy subscription. That's hello at jomall.com. Okay, we're gonna end today with um, a short video that actually, if you're listening on the podcast, will just be audio, uh, that ended up being the most popular video I shared in 2020. So we talk a lot here on our podcast about, as a leader, being values-driven and having clarity on what your beliefs are, what your values are around how you wanna show up as a boss. And as 2020 dragged on, drug on? Dragged on? It's dragged. As, as 2020 dragged on, um, I was looking for ways to continue to encourage bosses. And I ended up recording this short video about the five beliefs of better bosses. Uh, one of the things about being values-driven that is really important is that you do the work yourself to create some clarity around what your values are and you know what you believe about how you should show up as a boss. And so this clip is not to tell you what you should believe. It's more of an accounting of the patterns that I tend to see the most around the leaders who are the most effective. And so this clip is an acknowledgement of the beliefs and, and ultimately the values that seem to be the most common among the bosses who have the most success leading people. Enjoy. As someone who has spent years teaching leaders how to be better bosses, I have met some remarkably talented leaders. And I have seen and heard horror stories of bad boss behaviors that would make your toenails curl. Among those leaders who are the most successful at energizing teams, changing culture, activating employees, and producing results are a core set of beliefs that are constantly present. First, when it comes to their employees, the best bosses believe they know more than I do. The most effective leaders recognize that each of their people has insight, knowledge, and experience that they'll never have because each of those employees sits in a different chair than they do. The best bosses become obsessed with mining their personnel for their unique perspective so that the boss can be better informed and make better decisions. These bosses assign tremendous value to the ideas, opinions, and experiences of each employee in their charge. Second, the best bosses believe in giving away credit but owning failure. When something good happens, the best leaders say out loud, that's not about me as the boss, it's about my team, their effort, and what they accomplish together. When something doesn't go as planned, the best leaders accept responsibility for the failure. They say, that's on me, I'm accountable. They say that even if they weren't directly involved. This mix of avoiding credit and absorbing blame is seen and heard often by team members, because it's a commitment that that boss lives out every day. The best bosses also believe, my style doesn't always work. Leadership begins with self-awareness. The best bosses know that their personality, their communication style, and more, aren't always going to reach every member of the team so they work to be adaptable. They work to show up in different ways to meet people where they are. These bosses use tools like the MBTI or Strengths Finders to understand the naturally occurring differences between themselves and others so that they can then flex their style to be more successful. The fourth belief held by the best bosses is that I have to earn trust and respect great bosses know that their title on the company org chart alone is not going to galvanize those they lead to care and try. When bosses micromanage, break promises, steal credit, stop listening, dismiss challenges, stifle creativity, ignore bad behavior, or play favorites, trust and respect disappears. And then employees do the minimum and act only in their own self-interest. But When bosses prove over and over again that they are competent at their work and committed to their people, trust and respect starts to form. It produces higher levels of commitment, effort, communication, and resilience. Trust and respect really are the magic fairy dust of employee performance. Lastly, the best bosses will tell you, my job is to create the conditions for people to thrive. Ask a leader what they do for a living and you'll get a variety of answers. You'll get a list of tasks and responsibilities, of problems they solve, of obligations they must tackle each week, and more. Many will tell you, I put fires out every day. But among the elite, among the very best bosses in the world, is a greater responsibility, one that sits above the tasks and duties that live with that manager day to day, like doing reports or going to meetings or solving problems. Great bosses come into work every day believing that their job is to figure out what these people need to be at their best every day, and then I'm going to fight like crazy to provide that for them. These bosses believe it is their fundamental duty to create the conditions that lead people to thrive. These are the five beliefs of better bosses. My people know more than I do. I give credit and own blame. My style doesn't always work. I have to earn their trust and respect. And my job is to create the conditions for people to thrive. If you want to spark your team, cultivate commitment, and be the kind of boss that people actually want to work for, these beliefs are your roadmap. Embrace them as your own and then translate them into consistent action that is authentic to you and visible to your teams, and you'll be well on your way to being a better boss. All right, friends, if you liked what you heard today, we would be eternally grateful for a review of the podcast. If the platform you are listening on allows you to rate and review our show, please, please do so. Those ratings are important for many reasons, and the absence of ratings can actually hurt a program. So, right now, take a moment to give us some stars and leave your feedback about Boss Better Now. Until next time, thank you for all that you do to take care of so many.
1: This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.